Hello, this is Mihaela, your host for the Innovation Sofa podcast. As some of you might know, uh, the, we are the same company that also organizes the Rethink Innovation Hub conference, which is a gathering of corporate leaders addressing the lack of return on investment from digital innovation. Our fourth edition is now rescheduled for the 6th and 7th of October, taking place in London, and given the extraordinary times the world is currently experiencing, we wanted to make available a host of recordings from our 2019 edition, um, some of whom and some of which will hopefully come in very, very handy as most of you grapple with the pace of change and, and, and the challenges that these times are bringing. So uh, for today, I am delighted to share with you the presentation from Stephen Gonzalez, the technology strategist at NASA Space Center. Stephen will talk about partnerships and the opportunity to scale with what what can be seen as uh, unlikely partners. Um, and, And given the increased pressure economically. We, we felt that perhaps this is an angle that most of you are currently, you know, considering. And, and we thought maybe we should, you know, highlight to you how they are doing it and how they have done it and how they were successful and perhaps where they weren't successful. And, and hopefully that will help you. Um, most, most of you probably don't even know that you can actually collaborate with NASA. They, they have a lot of things uh, available. They, they have a lot of patents available and they're looking for people to collaborate with them. Um, and if, you know, maybe the solution to your problems exists already somewhere out there, or maybe you can work with someone of your level uh, faster, cheaper, more effectively. Hence why it's incredibly timely that, you know, we, we kind of felt that you should have access to this information. And obviously this was kindly allowed by Stephen. Um, we will make you aware of how you can get your hand on to the presentation at the end. Excellent. Thank you for inviting me and letting me be part of this amazing gathering here today. As I look out and I, I see all the companies that are represented here and I think about all the innovations that is available through your organizations and your companies. I'm hopeful that along with learning a little bit about some of the strategies that NASA has in place to seek out and to seed innovation, that you'll consider joining us in making this vision a reality. You see this vision here was put together by a friend of mine, Pat Rawlings, about 31 years ago. And it's coincidentally around that time that I joined NASA. It was um, actually Star Trek, the original series that brought me to NASA and that got me hooked into this vision. And every time I look at this image, I get different insights from it. I remember when I first looked at it 31 years ago, what I saw was the NASA astronauts and the NASA technology that turned the science fiction into reality. But after 31 years of working in the innovation community, both inside of NASA and outside, and after doing strategy for NASA, we had put together the 20-year strategy, I realize now that it's not just NASA technology that will be found on, on the moon and Mars as we go there. And that, quite frankly, it won't be just NASA astronauts. It'll be an international team, and quite probable we'll have commercial astronauts there with us when we go to Mars. And so our challenge when we go here now, compared to back in the 60s, is that We don't have, like many of your organizations, we don't have all the skill sets that we need within our organization to be able to make this uh, vision a reality. 
a friend of mine recently shared with me an amazing statistic. He said that 90% of all the scientists that have ever lived are alive today. And when you think of the magnitude of how many scientists that are it's just humbling, and for NASA, we realized there's no way we could hire all those scientists and have them all within, within our organization. The other challenge is that as much as we want to be able to do all of the research and development inside our organization, we'll never get the funding to do that, and we'll never have all the resources to do that. And then finally, we know that even if we had all the funding and the resources to be able to do that, we couldn't invest in all of the technology that's required. That your industries, your companies are looking at technologies that we'll, um, don't have the resources to do. And we have to figure out how do we bring those technologies in to, su to support us. And so we find ourselves now in an environment where what we started when we went to the moon back um, um, 50, 60 years ago is not the same environment we find ourselves now. And it was um, just recently, um, a colleague of mine and, and friend, uh, Dr. Heracleos, as well as um, the chief technologist at NASA headquarters, um, Dr. Terrier, we put together an article to talk about this transformation, this evolution of NASA from where we are today um, compared to back in the 60s. And back in the 60s, we were doing everything inside. We were in a space race between ourselves and, and Russia. We were in a position where technical superiority led to political dominance. And we had to do all of the technology development inside of NASA. And also, at that time, all the technology that we're seeking could only be found inside of NASA. There was no one else that was doing what we were doing. And so we um, had a strategy to be able to get to the moon with the resources and the capability all within our organization. And then we fast forward into the 80s, into the second phase of space exploration, where we found ourselves in the partnerships and collaborations working together instead of in competition with the international community. And that we were able to leverage the innovations, the technology, the expertise of 15 nations coming together to be able to build the International Space Station. An amazing vehicle that is currently up there in space, the size of a, of a football field, right now has a crew of six international astronauts continuously being on, present on the space station for the last 18 years accomplished only by bringing together these 15 nations to be able to pull that, that incredible feat off. And so now, in this next era of space exploration, we find ourselves in a place where the industries that we've seeded, the technology that we started 50, 60 years ago, is now being leveraged and being brought forward by these commercial companies. And not only do these commercial space companies provide us capabilities, but all your organizations and the investments that you're making are providing us with technology and capability to be able to enable us to, to go to the moon and Mars. And so because of this environment we find ourselves, we realize that we have to change our strategy to pursue innovation. We, can't, we have to be able to leverage what's outside. And so for the last half dozen years or so, we've been focusing on a three-pronged strategy to be able to access innovation. The first one being um, looking at partnerships. How do we work with your organization, work with companies to be able to bring in your technology and to work collaboratively in order to advance technology, not only for space exploration, but for your own organizations here on Earth. Secondly, we look at how do we seed innovation, both through prizes as well as with our own um, innovation, with our own technology, to be able to help um, organizations 
create new markets. And then finally, we look at how do we leverage the wisdom of the crowds? How are we able to um, reach out to the, those incredible amount of scientists and engineers and inventors that are out there that might be able to help us solve some, some of our challenges? And so what I um, want to be able to do is, is focus this morning on those three categories of, of partnering, seeding, and leveraging the crowd. But before I do, let me first give you a little insight into where NASA is going. Currently, we are planning to go to Mars by the year 2030s. Um, it is currently a three-year mission, six months to be able to get to Mars, a year and a half while we do the technology and investigations and research on the Mars surface, and also waiting for Mars and Earth to line back up again for the six-month journey back. In order to do that, we're going to the moon. We need to learn how to live on another surface for an extended period of time. The astronauts will be there for a year and a half. One of our challenges is that we cannot bring all the supplies, everything that we require to keep those astronauts alive with us for that journey. So we have to learn how to live off the, the planet, to live off the resources that we find there. And so we're going to the moon to be able to learn how to do that, to live an extended period of time off the Earth. First, before going to the lunar surface, we're going to build a station around the moon so that we can allow the astronauts to easily descend and, um, and return from the lunar surface. And while we're developing the technology to be able to get to, to the moon by the, right now, I just saw it this morning, um, the administrator said we will go to the moon by the 2022. So that is three years from now, and be able to get on the lunar surface within five years. And so um, along with us getting to, to the moon and developing that technology, we are on the International Space Station, continuing to understand how to to live in space, understanding the effects of space on the human body, as well as doing investigations that transform industries back here on Earth. And so those, that's the strategy, that's where we're going, and this is how um, we plan to pursue some of the technology, along with the internal research and development, is partnerships. And the most successful of these partnerships is what we did with General Motors. General Motors had a challenge in that they wanted some robotic technology for um, their assembly floor for the manufacturing plants. And we wanted robotic technology to be able to allow our astronauts to be able to focus on the research and the science on board space station and not have to do the maintenance on board a vehicle. And so we came together, and the beauty of it was that they brought their funding, their resources, their expertise, their facilities, and combined it with our funding, our resources, our capabilities, and we built Robonaut. And this, this uh, robotic uh, astronaut we took up to space station a few years ago to be able to prove out the technology, to be able to see how we might be able to, to use this to be able to help the astronauts. And together what we had developed was the most advanced hand. The, the hand on Robonaut allows for it to be able to use the same equipment that the astronauts as well as assembly workers in the manufacturing plants use. Has the most advanced depth perception to allow for remote operations of the ro robot and software to protect the human in close proximity of the robot so that nothing would happen to anyone as they get near it. And from this technology, what we find is that the manufacturing organizations are able to use a spin-off technology of a robotic glove. They put on this glove, and the challenge they were having was a lot of their employees were getting um, repetitive injuries and carpal tunnel from, from some of the operations on the assembly floor. By putting on this robotic glove, it takes about five kilograms of pressure off of their wrist and it prevents all the uh, injuries that they were facing. We also took this technology and we went to the Veterans Hospital where a lot of our soldiers will come back and are in, unable to use their hands because of nerve damage. 
they put on this device and they, they were so happy because they said it was the easiest device they've ever used to be able to became functions out of hand. And so because of the success of, of this collaboration, working on this, we decided to cast a net far and wide to be able to partner with other organizations. And we discovered early on that the successful partnerships came when we matched cultures. Originally, we, we tried to, to work with every organization, and we found that when companies didn't have the same risk profile as we did, when companies didn't have the same technology adoption rate that we did, and when um, organizations didn't have the same safety cultures, it was harder for us to partner together. So over time, we've honed in and we started finding ourselves working more with energy companies, more with um, uh, medical companies. As you see here, we worked with um, offshore platforms and, and providing sensors there to understand how those platforms are behaving in the ocean. And those same sensors are used in space to be able to understand how those vehicles are performing. We worked with um, underwater operations to be able to send a robotics capability to be able to understand how the maintenance of those uh, pipes under, under sea. And we use those same robots to be able to understand how vehicles in space are performing. In the medical industry, we have challenges in that the catheters that are being used for the patients have film that will build up in, in the catheter. And we had technology to be able to reduce that and be able to protect um, the patients. The same technology we're using to be able to address a problem we had around spacesuits and that uh, tubes in there were building up with, with film and were causing uh, challenges with some, for some of our spacewalks. So working together, being able to pull our resources together, being able to allow our, t our funding to go further because of the capability from others has allowed us to be able to enable us to continue our space explorations and has benefited those industries back here on Earth. That's what I figured when you said it, Shell, that, that, that's what, that was the one that we had done with Shell. Yep. So, um, and so from this, we decided, how can we continue this conversation? How do we uh, encourage more and more of this? And so about five years ago, we introduced in Houston, working with uh, the city and with the economic development community there, a conference to bring together six industries. We brought together energy and medical, but also agribusiness, advanced manufacturing, and maritime trade. And to see what was possible at the intersection of these industries. What are the technologies that we can work on together that will advance both industries? What are the technologies that can be transferred from one industry to the other to be able to advance the, the missions and the business models of those industries? And then thirdly, what can be done for these industries on Earth from the growing capability of, of space commerce. How will that transform those industries? What will it create new opportunities for those companies back here on Earth? And so, if you're interested in seeing how you might be able to partner with NASA, to be able to work with, with NASA, or to see what's the possibility at the intersections, I encourage you to join us in, uh, in November in Houston, where we have this conference, and we um, would love to, to join in the conversation. We've had a wonderful delegation from the UK for the last few years, um, um, catapult. Satellite Catapult. Every time I, I practice that, I've always got the, the mix up. Satellite Catapult from the UK has been a sponsor for the last five years, and so I encourage you to, to join us for, for the next event. So that's partnerships. Those are some of the things that we're doing, some of the things that we've learned in being able to match cultures, being able to allow our, our funding and our resources to go further. But now let me talk a little bit about seeding technology. And as I said, the seeding comes in two ways. One is through the... Um, prizes that we put out there, and the other one is through the technology. So first, let me focus on the prizes that we put out there. And this started about in the early 2000s. We were trying to see whether or not the market was ready to provide us 
with a commercial vehicle to get to the International Space Station. And so we start a program known as the Commercial Orbital Transportation System to just put out a prize out there to see who was ready, who can provide us the capabilities. And sure enough, Elon Musk at SpaceX and Orbital um, were able to step up to the challenge. And what was wonderful about that program is we provide a little bit of seed money, but it was actually those organizations that um, bore the, the cost for being, doing the development, um, taking those uh, vehicles to operations. And so SpaceX, Orbital, and then eventually Sierra Nevada joined us in order to provide us with resupply missions up to the International Space Station and been successfully doing it. And what's wonderful is that when one had an accident early on, the other one was able to continue those resupply missions. And so we have more diverse capabilities now than we had when we had only one vehicle from NASA. And with the success of that, we moved on to now to see whether or not they can provide us with access to our astronauts up to the space station. And just two weeks ago, Elon Musk and SpaceX docked their vehicle to the space station and returned it back um, to Earth safely. That vehicle was, was unmanned, but we're hoping within the next few months to be able to send our astronauts on board that vehicle and eventually be able to get our astronauts launching from the U.S. instead of having to depend on the, the Russian assets um, for, for launches to the space station. So from the success of being able to use this on the International Space Station, we turned our sights to the moon and see what could be done there. And the first thing we asked was, can someone provide us habitat designs and habitats for that station that will be circling around the moon? And sure enough, um, Boeing stepped up with their design. Lockheed Martin stepped up with their design for, for a vehicle. And then what I love is that Orbital, pivoting from providing us with the uh, cargo services up to the station, came up with a design to be able to provide us with the habitat. And then, not to be outdone, Sierra Nevada also, one of our partners that was providing us with resupply missions, came up with their design for a vehicle. And then finally, NanoRacks with their partners. And what I love about NanoRacks is that they actually are also providing us with the commercial capability on the vehicle. They allow companies like yourselves to be able to lease space on the International Space Station so that you can conduct experiments and do some technology development in the unique environment of space. And so from that business model, they're offering up this design with the hope of continuing that business model, being able to lease space on this vehicle as it circles around the moon to companies to be able to see what, how you can advance technology using the unique environment around the moon. And so, with the success of being able to look at assets around the orbit of the moon, we started setting our sights down to the lunar surface. And we've kicked off a number of programs to look for commercial capability. The first one being um, the industry was able to provide us resupply missions to space station. Can you provide us resupply missions down to the lunar surface? We're looking for tipping point technologies, game-changing technologies from industry to be able to allow us to um, conduct operations on the moon. And we're looking for other commercial services, not just resupply, but can you provide assets for robotic capability, for um, exploring capability on the lunar surface. And then finally, just like we did with uh, launching from the Earth for the astronauts with the commercial crew, can industry provide us with a landing capability on the lunar surface and to be able to take the astronauts and bring them back up to space. And uh, Again, these are capabilities that we couldn't think of 50 years ago. We're looking to see whether or not industry is ready to step up. It saves NASA on the, the development costs of it, but we, we end up um, purchasing the services from these commercial companies to be able to uh, enable the moon exploration. 
So this is what we do to, to fund technology, to fund um, prizes, to be able to see if the market's ready. But now let me talk a little bit about uh, what we do for seeding innovation with our technology. And our technology is held for a twofold purpose. NASA was created to be able to explore. But the second part of our mission has always been for the benefit of humankind. And so our technology has always been for the, to transform life here on Earth. And one of my favorite examples of that, of what we had done, was what we did with the Children's Hospital in Houston. They came to us and they said, these premature infants, as they're being transported from facility to facility, room to room, the vibrations that they're subjected to damage their internal organs. And unfortunately, many of them will die during the transportation just because of the shaking that they're subjected to. And so they came to NASA and said, can you help us with this? And we told them, well, our astronauts every day on board the International Space Station have to exercise two to three hours on exercise bikes and treadmills in order to maintain their muscle strength and in order to maintain their bone strength. And we said, left unchecked, those machines will introduce a lot of vibrations into the space station and destroy a lot of the experiments on there. So we said, yeah, in Houston, we've got expertise, we've got facilities, we've got technology to be able to do that. So we came together and created a, a carrier that allows these children to be transported from room to room, facility to facility, on a, as if on a sheet of glass, and no longer subjected to those vibrations. One of the favorite and one of the panel members we'll be talking about in a little bit is the technology that we did to be able to help out the, to find at, a, at the earthquake in Nepal survivors in there. It's a technology that came from the NASA facility out in California, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Their mission is to be able to go further out into space to explore, to be able to make new discoveries. And they do that by detecting very, very tiny signals. They try to weed through all the noise of space to find these signals to be able to create their new discoveries. And so a company created a product called Finder using that technology from NASA. And they went to Nepal and they were able to find four survivors underneath the noise and the, all the of the rubble from the earthquake and be able to bring back and, um, four people that were still living underneath the rubble. And then our technology is also used in construction in industries you wouldn't consider. This building here in New York City is built in a modular architecture. It's kind of like Lego blocks. And because of it, it's not using the steel girders that you usually find, it's subjected to sway with wind. It doesn't have the same rigidity as if, if you had steel girders. And so again, came to NASA and said, you know, is there something you can do about the swaying? Well, for us, we had a, an early rocket program that when we launched it, the rocket would vibrate quite a bit, and if left unchecked, it would explode during launch. And so we had technology to be able to keep it from, from shaking. So if you were to Google this image in, in New York City, actually it's in Brooklyn, and you look at the, the roof, you will find these two huge black tubes on the top of the building. And that's NASA technology that keeps this building from shaking and keeps the people in the penthouse suite being able to sleep at night. So this is just the tip of the iceberg of the different technologies that we have to offer. And the second part, when I talk about our technology, I said was for the benefit of, the first part was benefit of humankind. But we also do it selfishly, hoping that our technology will come back to us. And one example of this is what we had done back in the 90s with a project called TransHab. We were looking for an inflatable habitat. Has anyone seen the movie The Martian? Um, so in there, you, you get an idea of that, that design um, and some of the challenges we have. Uh, Matt Damon in the movie ha was 
at the end of it, had a challenge because his habitat exploded. And we had to figure out how to keep habitats from exploding. How do you build something that inflates without blowing up? And how do you build something that when it inflates, the micrometeors in space will not um, puncture it and, and, and have it deflate or, or depressurize in space? Because in space, these micrometeors can travel at 17,500 miles per hour and just a little paint chip on the, on the space shuttle embedded itself about a quarter inch in the glass because of it traveling that fast. So we had to create technology to create something that can grow um, without being punctured, that um, the material had to be soft so that it allows us to be able to not require such a large rocket, but strong enough to be able to keep this penetration. So in the 90s, we finished the, the technology, created it, put it on the shelf, and a millionaire out in Vegas by the name of Bob Bigelow came to NASA and said, I made my millions in Vegas by building hotels. I want to build the first hotel up in space. Can I license your technology? I said, sure, our technology is available for, for the public. He licensed our technology. Long story short, he ended up uh, building his two-thirds scale mock-up, uh, and is currently up in space, waiting for the Uber ride to be able to bring his paying customers up to, uh, to his hotel. So while he's waiting for the ride, he came back to NASA. He says, I've got this capability. I've got this technology. I've, I've commercialized it. I've, I've moved it on from what you had done back in the 90s. You probably could use some more closet space on board the International Space Station. He said, sounds like a good idea. So three years ago, we launched it, attached it. And what you see there on the right is the Bigelow module that is being used to be able to put our, some of the supplies from our resupply missions. And he's continuing to, to now looking for other customers to be able to put it on the moon, to put it around the moon, working with uh, SpaceX, with um, Blue Origin, Jeff Bezos' company, to see what more he can do with his commercial uh, uh, space station. So with these two focus of our technology, to be able to benefit life on Earth and to be able to spin back in again, we're looking for more and more people to be able to move our technology out, to be able to look, see whether or not your industry can move our technology to fill one of these two, two focus areas. And so if you're curious, we have every year all of our technology that we have developed, all of the technology that has transformed other industries captured in the spinoff magazines. And they're examples of what we've done to be able to benefit life here on Earth and to, to, to change industries. And what we're looking for and what we're hoping for is that more people will come and license our, our technology. NASA's portfolio has 1,400 technologies. And the opportunity that we share is that only 20%, those in red, have been licensed. That means 80% of our technology is still available for someone to take out, to commercialize, to transform markets, and hopefully to be able to allow us to spin it back in again in the future. And if you're curious about it and, and, and want to look at our technology, technology.nasa.gov is where you can find our portfolio. And in there, you'll see that we've categorized our technologies according to different industries. And if you um, want, you can search a keyword. If you're looking for our sensor technology, our water technology, you can look there, and it will return back all of NASA's technology that would fit that. And you can look to see what problem we solved, and then from there be able to actually license the technology or start the process through that one website. And if hardware or our intellectual property isn't what you need, if you're much more of a software company, we have a 1,000 applications that are available for the community to be able to use our, our software to either jumpstart a, a project that you have or to fill the gap of, uh, of capability that you may, may have right now. And then finally, when it comes to seeding innovation, one thing that we've tried to do is figure out how do we reach more to the startup community. 
Most of our technology is licensed by mid to large uh, size companies. But we feel there's an opportunity with startups, uh, with the investment, with the, with the hunger that you find in those entrepreneurs to be able to move more of our technology out to the startup organizations. So we were trying to figure out why are we not getting more startups? And we thought maybe one of the challenges is, and one of the barriers is the funding to be able to uh, require to license our technology. So we created Startup NASAs. For the first three years, a startup can license NASA technology with no licensing fee and no application fee. We're hoping that by removing that as a barrier, they will come license their technology. And after three years, once they start generating revenue, then the licensing fee comes in. And for NASA, it actually isn't very much of a licensing fee. It's just making sure that there's a due diligence that the companies will actually move our technology out. And so even with this, we realized that just because we connect our technology to startups, that might not be sufficient to be able to make sure that they successfully um, commercialize their technology. So in the last two years, we've been working with innovation communities around the country, and, and we're looking to see around the world of how do we connect these startups to ecosystems, to places where they have an acceleration program, co-working spaces, the venture funding, the angel networks, the support team of marketing and legal, as well as the customer base to be able to make sure that these companies are successful. Last September, we launched one activity in New York City, connecting to that ecosystem. We're working with uh, a community down in South Texas in New Mexico, hopefully soon with Puerto Rico, to be able to connect our technology to, to transform what has happened in, on that island after the hurricane hit it. And we're also looking for other e ecosystems to see how do we move our technology out, to be able to make sure that the technology just isn't captured by a, an entrepreneur, but that, that we can ensure its success. So that's the seeding part, being able to move technology out and funding initiatives to be able to find um, solutions to be able to allow us to explore. But the next challenge for us was how do we tap into the wisdom crowd? How do we tap into those 90% of scientists that are still alive today that have ever um, lived? And one of our challenges in doing this is when you reach out to the crowd, you're not always sure what you're going to get. For us, we have, at the end of the day, our friends' lives um, that are, on, are in our hands. It is our neighbors, it is our, the astronauts that we live with, that their lives, when they go up into space, come down, that we take seriously. And so how do we bring in technology from the outside that we don't understand the pedigree, we don't know the history of it, we don't know um, the source of it, we don't know how much risk is going to introduce to the system? The second part is that Quite frankly, what we do is rocket science. And so to think of in a community that, that believes that what we do, no one else can do, how all of a sudden do you break that mindset to allow technology to come in when we feel like we're the only ones that are able to do this? And so a friend of mine, uh, Steve Rader, is responsible for this program, being able to, to out, reach out to the community. And it's building on a legacy of a number of different um, communities that we've done to be able to reach out to be able to bring in ideas. One of the earliest ones was the Centennial Prize, kind of like the X Prize, where we went out and looked to find technologies to support our mission. One of the most successful ones was looking for a glove to be able to help with the astronaut spacesuit. The current glove design caused a lot of pressure and pain for them, and we came with an incredible design from a gentleman on the East Coast that was able to help us with a new configuration. We've provided our software out there to the International Space App Challenge providing all of our data sets to see what these um, startups and these um, um, 
programmers can do with our data to be able to gain new insight and also to make our data sets available to the public. But what I want to share with you this morning is actually two of the programs that we have in place, one being the NASA Tournament Lab and the other one being NASA at Work, what we did to be able to tap into the wisdom crowd through an organization that we created at, at, in Houston called the Center of Excellence for Collaborative Innovation, or COSI for short. And this organization is our portal to, to the crowd, to the open source community. And what's wonderful is that it's not only NASA's portal, but it's a portal for all of the other government agencies to be able to tap into. And what's even better is that now the crowd has one portal to be able to reach back and provide solutions to all of these organizations. And so what they kicked off was the NASA Terman Lab. And what you see on the right are the curator communities that are part of that. And what's amazing is that we now have access to the two million entrepreneurs, inventors, scientists in the Nine Sigma community. We have access to 375,000 scientists and inventors and engineers in the InnoCentive community. We have access to the million software programs, programmers out there in the top coder community. And these individuals are motivated not so much by money, but by solving something really tough. These communities are, are people that are looking for the next challenge. And so for NASA, we put out small prizes and get back some amazing results. We, these individuals are looking to see how they make a name for themselves by being able to solve the most difficult challenge. And so we, one of my favorite uh, that we had of technology actually came from the 300 challenges that we put out there. And for NASA, success has breeded more success. And we've been surprised that 90% of the challenges we put out there have come up with solutions and innovations that we had not considered within NASA. And even better is that 80% of the solutions that we've received have resulted in some cost savings as opposed to what we originally were planning to pursue, the original path we were planning to go down. And we, of the 300, the one that, that tickles me the most is the one that we had done to be able to help our astronauts during long-duration missions to be able to, there are certain scenarios where they're going to be stuck in their spacesuits for a long period of time. So we had an amazing amount of outpouring support for the space poop challenge and to be able to see how do, how do we allow these astronauts to be comfortable. And so 20,000 across the world came back with solution. 5,000 ideas. Um, uh, 1,500 teams came together to provide us insights that we had. <laughs> I didn't even clue that were out there. And what's beautiful about working with these, uh, these communities, um, working through these curated communities like HeroX, is that we didn't have to go through the 5,000 ideas. They curate them, they go through, we provide our requirements, and they were able to give us about 85 technologies that we can look at. And from that, we were able to pick the top three and give prizes for that. The first one actually was a gentleman in the Air Force. Second prize was a team from the UK that provided us with solution. So these work, and they, they provide us with incredible insight that we hadn't considered before. The prizes were only like $25,000. So the amount of investment that these people, and some of them came up with prototype design, some of them came up with uh, um, actual uh, hardware, then they probably spent more than they got back from the, from the prize on that. But again, it's, it's being able to, to solve something very difficult that, that is their claim to fame. And so finally, 
going from the crowd outside to the crowd inside. We look to see what we can do to be able to leverage the innovation and insights across the 10 NASA centers. Because each NASA center has a different focus, a different uh, expertise. In Houston, we have um, a focus on human space exploration. On the West Coast, I mentioned earlier, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, deep space exploration. On the East Coast, the Goddard Space Flight Center, more Earth observation. And so we figured, is there a way to be able to tap the expertise and the different perspectives across the 10 NASA centers? And sure enough, once again, about 140 challenges out there. And 93% of those challenges have resulted in insights that the original NASA center had not considered before. And the thing that amazes me that 25% of them resulted in a significant advance from what the original team was considering when they were looking at the uh, technology investigation. And so I truly believe that it is with this um, wisdom of the crowd, it is with the seeding of innovation, it is with the partnerships that we'll end up being able to explore and to be able to reach further and be able to get onto Mars. And I'm encouraging, hopefully, that you'll join us to be able to make this happen. Thank you. Hopefully, you found that really, really useful. And if you want to get your hands on to the slides, I'll, I'll tell you how um, in a moment. But before I do that, I also wanted to invite all the innovation leaders out there to join me on a live webcast or, you know, a, a, uh, another podcast um, to talk about what else can the innovation leaders do to manage successfully the, this time and to, you know, kind of be aware of opportunities and, and to create opportunities for themselves, for their companies, for, for their teams. Um, this is, again, this is a free podcast that's going to be available to everyone. And I would love to interview as many of you as possible. Um, so feel free to get in touch with us through the same medium that you should be using to get your hands on to the uh, presentation deck of for every single recording that you're going to be hearing going forward, and that is info at thegenohub.com. So that is info at d-i-g-i-n-o-h-u-b.com. Look forward to hearing from you. Bye for now, and stay healthy. <laughs>